If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and I will begin reading in verse 38. We continue to walk through the Sermon on the Mount verse by verse through this marvelous sermon. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. And hopefully you will be ready to hear these words again from the Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloaks as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Praise God for his holy word. Please be seated. So today's verses, they bring us to the fifth, you have heard, but I say to you statements that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. These words that the Son of God spoke to his disciples 2,000 years ago still remain important for us today as God's children. What God has breathed, what God has spoken, what God has preserved for us is to always remain important in every generation for those who say, I am a Christian. Since the fall of humanity, we are a sinful and forgetful group of people. Even this past week, I am often asked the question, what did you have for lunch? And it takes me longer to answer that question than I care to admit. It wasn't long after the fall that Cain killed Abel, and in Genesis chapter 6, we find these words, Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Yahweh was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. You see, the wickedness of man is still great, even though This generation and our culture says we are good, but praise be to God that Jesus Christ has come and we know that Christ is our Savior. As Christians, we will continue to hear what the world says. We will see the depravity of men and women on display as they continue to do what is right in their own eyes, redefining words, but our answer is not to circle the wagons and hide as God's children. Our answer as God's children must be to remain fixed upon what God has said, to abide by all of his words that he has spoken, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ that saves sinners. And it's much easier to say amen like my brother did than it is to leave these doors and to do it. Amen. Christ teaches us how to live in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, let us carefully listen and follow his words. Martin Lowe-Jones put it this way, the Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a great and grand and perfect elaboration of what our Lord called his new commandment. His new commandment was that we love one another even as he loved us. 
The Sermon on the Mount is nothing but a grand elaboration of that. If we are Christ and our Lord has meant that word for us, that we should love one another even as he loved us, here in this sermon we are shown exactly how to do it. Christ is not talking about outward appearances in this sermon, but our inward hearts. As parents, we don't want behavior-modified children. We want children who love the Lord from the heart. As adults, we don't want behavior-modified societies. We want people who love the Lord their God. We can appear clean. We can look the role of being spiritually alive, but inwardly, we can be spiritually dead. Jesus called this a whitewashed tomb. We can have everyone fooled but God alone. Having all the right answers, being the first to speak up in Sunday school, being the first to say, I have memorized this verse, but we can have no saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ the Son. Matthew 5, verse 20. Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The only way that we can please the Lord is by being born again. Turning from our sin and trusting in Christ alone. Our faith, our trust must be in Jesus Christ and only Christ. This sermon is not teaching us how we work our way to heaven or how to please the Lord as his already redeemed children in this life. It shows us how we please the Lord as his already redeemed children. Jesus has already taught us about anger, murder, lust, adultery, marriage, divorce, oaths, promises, and what he has said concerning these topics, we are to live by for his glory. Well, pastor, that that seems like that's a lot of work. Yes, we need to come before the Lord every day, ready to hear from God and ready to respond with obedience to God. But what a great privilege it is because we've been born again. Memorization is absolutely great, but the end game is obedience. One is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. But saving faith is never alone. The new life in Christ will produce good fruit for the glory of God. That is the will of God. Today's verses speak to our conduct. As we study the fifth, you have heard, but I say to you statements. Look with me at Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I will say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In my thinking this week, I was reminded of how privileged I was to grow up in a solid biblical church where the pastor preached the Word of God, and he stayed there for years and years. In fact, he stayed there until he passed away. But somewhere along the way, through what I heard in small groups or from others, some traditions of men slipped in, and I believed some things that were false. As time marched forward, God's Word corrected me concerning my doctrine, and our verses before us today are doing just that. 
The traditions of the teachers were not correct. You have heard, but I say to you. These words are not in the positive, they are in the actual negative. Jesus is correcting a false belief and a false application that was accepted in the culture. So this morning we will begin by looking first in the Old Testament at the biblical history of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and then we will move forward looking at the correcting words of Christ that we find here in Matthew 5. So point number one, the biblical history of these words. The biblical history of these words. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So we find in God's holy word that these these words are used three times in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 21, Leviticus chapter 24, and Deuteronomy chapter 19. They occur first in Exodus 21, beginning in verse 22. If you will turn with me there, Exodus 21 beginning in verse 22. And as you are turning, as way of a reminder, in a chapter previous to this, in Exodus 20, we find the Ten Commandments, the moral law. But we will be in the next chapter, Exodus 21, beginning in verse 22. Exodus 21, 22 reads, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, can you even imagine that for a moment? So that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In Exodus 20, we find the moral law. In Exodus chapter 21, we find laws that the Lord has given and how earthly judges or these civil authorities are to handle specific situations. Exodus 21 explains the legal process as the judges determine the correct and just punishment. Some might say, and they have said, these words are unloving, these words are harsh, they're even Cruel. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Are you telling me that that is in Scripture? Yes. But in God's civil system, this is justice. R.C. Sproul said these words, I've heard critics complain that the Old Testament system of justice was harsh and cruel. They point to the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, an example of such cruelty. Yet I cannot imagine a more just system than to have a punishment fit for the severity of the crime. I agree with Dr. Sproul that in the courtroom, justice is to be served that fits the crime. An eye for an eye is not cruel. Cruelty would be two eyes for an eye. The punishment is to match the crime. The second time that we find these words used are in Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24, beginning in verse 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he is done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given, a person shall be given to him. Now once again, This is within the context of civil law, not personal relationships. 
Life for life, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The punishment is to match or be equal to the crime and no further. As he or she has done, it shall be done to them in the civil law. Deuteronomy 19, beginning in verse 15, is the third use of we find an eye for an eye. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before Yahweh, before the priests and the judges who are in the office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is once again civil law, not person against person, but within the presence of priests, judges, and witnesses. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In fact, even today in a country, if an individual is caught stealing, they cut off his hand. And that is the law. God established the civil authorities to deliver justice and to purge evil in his creation. Yes, but that, that's the Old Testament. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, God has established civil authorities to deliver justice and to purge evil in his creation. Now, is there evil being done in the human courts? Absolutely. Are there corrupt judges? Yes. But as God's children, we are to seek justice and redemption so that God is glorified in the here and the now. These passages are showing what is known as legal justice in the courts, for the punishment is to fit the crime and no more. This is commonly known as lex talionis, the law of retaliation. Lex Talionis says, whereby a punishment resembles the offense committed in kind and degree. Now, some have walked away from this passage saying that Christ right here is going against the Old Testament Scriptures. He's going against his own words, but he wasn't. He was making clear his law to his disciples. Jesus was not teaching something new. He was, however, standing against the Jews who were wrongly applying Old Testament civil laws to their own personal life so they could dish out vengeance whenever they wanted it to. 
The law, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, was not meant for civil cases. It's not, it was meant for civil cases, not personal retaliation. Even in our day, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is known for give others what they have coming to them. You get hit, you hit them back. If you're wounded by words, you dish them out. As others do to you, you do to them. An eye for an eye and two for a tooth is biblical, but only in civil cases, not personal retaliation and personal vengeance. You don't stand in the place of the courts and you don't stand in the place of God and determine what you're going to do. The Lord has established civil law and human relationships for a purpose. Now, none of us desire that the civil courts begin to act like human relationships. Don't lie to yourself and say that you don't demand justice yourself. Oh, you killed someone. I forgive you. Don't do it again. You can go. There would be an uproar if we saw that in the civil cases. We would also never want our human relationships to act like the civil courts. Sorry that you sinned against me. You are guilty. You're going to receive your punishment with no mercy. Take it like a man. Take it like a woman. That's not how we handle situations. The laws that the Lord has established for his creation in the civil courts, they limit punishment. They prohibit greater vengeance to occur among men and women. God's law brings fear upon a forgetful people and they limit corruption at the same time. This is something that God's children should praise the Lord for. That we know how we are to live and we know how we are to govern based upon what God has said. Now let us not overlook the truth that these words were established by God for dealing with evil in this sinful world. The fact that we have courts, the fact that we have cases, the fact that we have lawyers and judges is a reminder to us that we live in a fallen creation. But the Lord has instructed us in how dealing with injustice. In the history of these words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and the history is important as we move forward, let us not forget this history as we look at what Christ has to say. Point number two is this, our conduct as Christians in our personal relationships. Our conduct as Christians in personal relationships. Look at Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one, the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is focusing on personal relationships here. Individual conduct, not civil matters. Jews were taking an eye for an eye and two for two, then wrongly applying it to personal relationships, and Jesus is making it clear here. Lex Talionis is for the courts, not personal and human relationships. So look at Matthew 5, verse 39. This can be tricky. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus is telling his disciples and all who were present, you have heard that you are to operate with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in your relationships. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now Christ is not saying, let evil and let the enemy do their thing. He is, not, he is saying, do not retaliate and be vengeful. 
John Stott said our duty to individuals who wrong us is not retaliation, but the acceptance of injustice without revenge or redress. When you are personally being attacked, do not respond as others do in attacking them. This is not speaking about personal safety. It's not talking about protecting yourself. This is speaking to that of insult or slander. We don't respond to evil with evil as we are saying, I am a child of God. We also just don't stay and accept the evil. We are told over and over again to flee. We are to resist the evil. We are to resist the evil one. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, don't slap them back. That's not to be our conduct. Don't take them to court. Let them slander and insult you. Don't respond to violence with more violence. Don't cause an increase in violence because you're making the matter all about you. In Romans 12, verse 17, we find these words, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to live in this sermon in a way that pleases him. And then Jesus models this instruction his entire life. In every avenue, Jesus did not fail. Well, Jesus grabbed a whip and he caused people to leave the temple. Absolutely, they needed it. They needed it at that point in time. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to live. These words, they are countercultural for us. I mean, let's just be honest. We live in the state of Texas. We pride ourselves in the fact that we have all of these movies of westerns and we are in John Wayne culture someone does something to us we immediately respond and we give it right back to him except that's not the way of Christ we don't want to take a punch we desire to respond with a punch we don't want to get even we want to go above and beyond to one up everyone the evil that has been done to us. We desire to use our tongue as a fire at every moment. But we are not to overcome evil with evil, but good. Luke 18, verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? As God's children, we are to live this life knowing and remembering that God will give justice to his elect children. Vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance does not belong to us. When we start taking vengeance into our own hands, when we start taking vengeance into our own lips and it starts flowing, do you actually think that you will sin less? 
than the person who has wronged you? Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. As God's children, we don't set ourselves against the one who wrongs you. We don't do that. Matthew 5, verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So if someone is insulting you, if someone is filing lawsuits to take your assets, forces you to go one mile, Scripture says go two, give to the one who begs and don't refuse to let someone borrow. Is this statement here so we will just let go and let others do whatever they want? No. This is a call for us as God's children to not insist on our own rights, but to live in this world as Jesus Christ did. We are to surrender to the Lord and we are to serve the Lord, not responding and reacting as the unsaved do. Matthew 5 verse 40, If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. We should be willing to surrender and give up our code or something that we own. Our life is not to be about defending our rights in the court, nor is life to be about our possessions, except that's the American dream and the American way. Matthew 5.41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. We should be willing to give up our liberty and serve. The picture here is when the Roman soldiers forced Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross of Christ after Jesus Christ was whipped and being led to the slaughter. Matthew 27, verse 32, As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. You know, we should be willing to go the extra mile, not demanding our rights. You know, I see this come out in little things in my life. And so, I live in a cul-de-sac. I'm at the end of my street. I have a neighbor on my right, neighbor on my left. And so sometimes I can get upset because I take care of my leaves. They're my leaves. I take care of them. But in a cul-de-sac, I got neighbors on my right, neighbors on my left, and they may not take care of them as much as I like. In the unfortunate state of my cul-de-sac, the wind blows all the way down my street into my cul-de-sac, into my driveway, and pushes into the driveway. And somehow the wind wraps around the other house, and it blows everything into my garage. So some days I can become extremely frustrated and demand my rights of, these are your leaves, you should take care of your leaves. And I can get frustrated. But as a child of God, the correct attitude would be, I'm not only going to take care of my leaves to the glory of God, I should be willing to take care of the other leaves around me in my neighborhood to the glory of God and not whine or complain about something like leaves. We should be willing to go the extra mile not demanding our rights because Christ came to serve and not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 5.42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We should be willing to give generously to those in need and let the one who, who needs what we have, we should let them borrow from us. The majority of the time, people borrow books from me. 
and the majority of the time I don't see them again. And that's okay. Those books that I have lent out and I have borrowed, how did I pay for those books to begin with? Money. Whose money does it belong to? Why do I have it? It's the Lord's. We should be willing to give generously to those in need and let who, who people may need things, let them borrow things. The command is not to give everything to everyone, but to give to those who ask and have a need. The attitude here is that of unselfishness when it comes to our rights and our property. R.T. France worded it this way, the need of others comes before my convenience. Now, dwell on those words for a little bit. The need of others comes before my convenience. We are all about convenience. We get upset when an Amazon package is not delivered when it says it's going to get delivered. We get upset when things don't happen at our time, at our timetable, on the day that we want things to happen. Even as a parent, sometimes I find myself, why am I angry? I'm angry because my child did not respond how I wanted my child to respond. And yet when I follow the Lord, I am often reminded that's not my child and this life is not about me. The Son of God surrendered fully to the Father's will, and we are to surrender fully to the Lord's will in this life. As we lift high those who have gone before us, who have lived for Christ and died for Christ, we don't see them yelling and demanding their rights. We see them yelling and talking about the greatness of Christ. If we're not willing to give, if we're not willing to help, if we're not willing to see the needs of others and to freely give to the needs of others, we need to stop and take a long look at our life, a long look at the Word of God, and we need to ask ourselves this one question, what in the world am I presently treasuring? Because it's not Christ. Now, are we to have wisdom in who we help and what we give? Yes, absolutely. But if we never give up anything, if we are never eager to help serve, if we're never to give generously to those in need, that is a troubling pattern. The words of James Montgomery Boyce are excellent. The whole question for us is one of cross-bearing. You ask me, is it right for someone to stripe my cheek? I reply, of course not. But the question is, do you only want to be right? As Christians, our standard of living can never be right or wrong, but the cross, the principle of the cross is our principle of conduct. Right or wrong, that's the principle of the Gentiles and the tax gatherers. My life is to be governed by the principle of the cross and the perfection of the Father. We are not here to defend our rights and to say, God has said, I can do this. I am going to do this. We are here to serve Christ no matter how the world responds. This sermon reveals our sin. It shows us the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This sermon shows us how to live as God's children, how we have the attitude, the conduct as pilgrims in this foreign land. And to be honest with you, many of our sins happen because we forget and we are so deluded to the truth that this is not heaven. This is not our home. We are pilgrims. We are passing through. 
We are to fully surrender to the Father's will as pilgrims in the foreign land that He has made because we are headed home. We know the hope that is before us. Craig Blomberg worded it this way, each of these commands requires Jesus' followers to act more generously than what the letter of the law demanded. Going the extra mile has rightly become a proverbial expression and captures the essence of all of Jesus' illustrations. Not only must disciples reject all behavior modified only by a desire for retaliation, but they must positively work for good of those with whom they would otherwise be at odds. You see, revenge is not to be our path as Christians. You're like, well, where does this start for me as a Christian? Well, number one, this starts for me in my own walk with the Lord. This means that I'm faithful to meet with God. I'm faithful to talk with the Lord, to pray. This means I'm faithful to examine the Scriptures, to abide in the Scriptures. It starts with my walk with the Lord. What about number two? That means that in my home, your spouse, it starts with your spouse. When your spouse says something that's piercing or divides or just like you feel like the the knife got jabbed and then it got twisted some, we don't respond demanding our rights. We respond as Christ would. Well, you're not going to do that if you're not spending time with the Lord. This is where you see the order of different things. Like I've constantly reminded of this. Like I, I can do family worship at the house and I can, I can have my kids memorize scripture and we can sing songs, we can talk about the Lord, but if they turn around and they see me doing everything totally different than what I said, there is a massive issue there. Like, I need to be personally saying, I can't say, I need you to do this, but don't watch what I do. You see, revenge is not to be our path as Christians. We are not to retaliate with evil. We are to be generous people because of the great generosity that we have received in Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle said, We are to put up with much and bear much rather than hurt another or give offense. He went on to say, In all things, we are to be unselfish. Our thoughts must never be How do others behave to me, but what would Christ have me do? So much we focus on how do others, this is is what you said to me, this is what you did to me, this is my right, this is how I'm going to respond. We're not thinking about, okay, you've done this to me, what would Christ have me do in this situation? The person who has taught me the most about this in my life has been my wife. When things would come up of difficulty in life, I would immediately, okay, let us sit down, let us talk through this because I got other things going on. That's how I wanted to deal with things. My wife taught me to to slow down, let's take in the situation and let's be at peace with one another and talk about things later. 
I think about this when I think about what J.C. Ryle said. Our thoughts must never be, how do others behave to me, but what would Christ have me do? It's not, am I thinking about the sin that they have sinned against me, and I want to jump back in and sin back? Or am I thinking, this is what's received, this is what has been said, do I need to examine my life to make sure these things are not true, take a strong look at my own life, maybe I have sinned, am I in the wrong, and respond with, what would Christ have me do in this situation? This is why as a society, I think the majority of people, not only in this world, the majority of people in this room, you have no need to post anything on social media at all. You respond so fast because you feel like the world deserves to hear your voice. No, the world deserves to hear what we should do. Therefore, point them to Christ. We are to put up with much and bear much rather than hurt another or give offense. Jesus instructs us in this sermon on how we are to live. We are to be generous people because of the great generosity in which we have received from Jesus Christ. Think about that just for a moment. Well, what have we received from Jesus Christ? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, left heaven, came to his earth to save filthy, wretched sinners. And how did he do that? By dying on a cross. There is no greater generosity than that. There is nothing beyond in which we can say, Jesus, I can one-up you in this area. I know, what, I know what you did to me. I'm going to get you back. The greatest generosity that we have is that God would come and die for his children. Do we seek revenge? Do we seek to retaliate? Are the needs of others important to us as the children of God? You know, we should be praising our Savior that He is sanctifying us. He is growing us. He is showing us how to live as we walk through this sermon that He preached over 2,000 years ago. So what is our response? Our response is to follow Christ this week. Our response is to think about what Christ has said and to live according to what He has said. We are to conduct ourselves as Christ did. I'm reminded of the words that Christ had on the cross, and they still, I, I know who Jesus Christ is, but you have just been whipped and beaten and spit upon. You've had to carry wood to the hill of Golgotha. You, you have been nailed to a tree. That tree has been raised up. You are struggling to breathe, and they are they are casting die, wanting who's going to get his clothes, who's going to get this. And then the words of our Savior, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Praise the Lord that Christ never, ever failed in the instruction of what he was giving to his disciples. That we are called to follow Christ this week. We are called to conduct ourselves as Christians not demand our will, but ask, Lord, what is your will in this situation? Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy word. How good, Lord, your word is. How good it is. We don't live on bread alone, but on every word that has come from your mouth. Lord, we live in a country in which 
We have systems that are corrupt. We have judges that are corrupt. We have people in politics that are corrupt. Lord, may we not add to the fire by demanding our rights, but being examples of what it is to be a follower of you. Lord, we need your wisdom. Help us to focus on our relationship with you. Help us to get our homes, our homes, our houses in order and that we are pleasing you with our home. Help us to be a shining light to the world, what it is to be a follower of you. Help us to be generous. Help us to give. Help us to be wise in all these situations. Not so that we can say, Lord, Lord, look at what I did but to lift high what you have done and to have the attitude of, Lord, I pray, I pray that I pleased you. Lord, may I please you with how I live. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.